when we read the Buddhist scriptures, you'll notice how often the Buddha used collections of teachings, <coughs> collections of dhammas, sometimes in numerical order, groups of dhammas that have similar characteristics or somehow are linked to each other. This is a useful way for us to remember the Dhamma. You have lists, even though it's not yet the Dhamma that we realize for ourselves. It's one very old, ancient way of remembering information, is to put it into lists, numbers. And that carries on over into Buddhist cultures. They often have sayings and verses that reflect that similar pattern or style. Like one saying in Thailand, they say it's just an old saying from where we don't know. It's say, um, Four people carry, three people lead on a procession, two people sit on a bamboo bench together, one person leads. For those of you learning tires, see con harm, sam con hair, song con nang kre, nung con pa bai. These kind of ancient sayings always have deeper meaning. So this one they say, four people who are carrying first the four elements that make up the body, earth, air, fire, water. They're found in all physical form and particularly at the form of this body that our mind ha inhabits. <clears throat> and the body is the vehicle that carries the mind around. So it's a reflection that brings us back to a point of mindfulness, to be mindful of the four elements. The three, con three people who lead us on a procession, Sanitya Dukkha Anatta, the universal characteristics that as if lead us on a procession through our life because they pervade all phenomena. They're there all the time, physical phenomena, mental phenomena, subject to anicca dukkha anatta. <coughs> subject to change. They don't last, don't endure. So one of the meanings of dukkha is just that which doesn't last. 
they're not really true. Another way sometimes in the old days they used to talk about anatta, not self. Not only does it refer to the ownerless nature of phenomena, but also that it's not really true or real because they're impermanent, don't last, don't endure. Phenomena are not, in one sense, not really true, constantly changing. That's why one who doesn't see anatta is deluded, deluded by the three characteristics. Two people sitting on the bamboo bench refers to karma, good and evil, punya, bapa, kusala, akusala, constantly affecting us, We're constantly making karma as long as we haven't reached the end of the path. Mind is constantly creating karma and then receiving the results of karma. The comparison is almost like two people having com a conversation. These old bamboo benches, two people would sit down and have a chat, two friends, relatives, when they meet. It's a bit like that. Good and evil in our minds have a conversation, arguing with each other, discussing, trying to convince each other to go each other's way, outwit each other, manipulate each other. One person leading us refers just to the mind. And they use the same collective uh, description of the mind as they do for, say, a, a star or a, a round object. Often in Buddhist culture, the mind is always seen as something almost like a sphere, even though that might be a simplistic or incorrect way of looking at it, but it's still helpful just to see it as a sphere. And sometimes it's bright, unblemished, as when the mind is in samadhi, or even better, the purified mind of an arahant. Sometimes the sphere is blemished, dirty, tarnished. There's this one mind that leads us. It's the forerunner, it's the leader. And of course it functions according to, to karma. It's affected by karma all the time. When beings die, leave one realm for the next. What is it that goes? It's karma. What is it propels them into their next life? It's karma. <coughs> Hard to put the finger on to describe. Hard to describe the workings of karma. It's not something you can paint a picture of or describe with language very easily. But the Buddha in his infinite wisdom describe that energy or that force that affects the mind, conditions the mind as karma. You know, and that's what leaves this 
life into the next. The five candles don't leave, they just break up. They dukkha, they don't last. So memories and thoughts and feelings in the body, they just break apart. But it's karma that goes on into the next life, good or evil, depending on our, what we've done. These old sayings are quite helpful sometimes just to make us stop and think more deeply about our lives. It's like when we read the suttas, all these groups of Dhamma like the Anguttarikaya, and just make us stop and reflect. Notice the causal conditions for different experiences we have, the links between states of mind, the arising of different Dhammas in our experience. Obviously as practitioners we have to use thought skillfully. Sometimes when we come to meditate, it seems like just a battle to get rid of thought, tend to develop a, a view around thought. My thoughts are good, they're bad, too much. I want to get rid of them. But one of the way we Develop the path is harnessing thought, use it skillfully, train it. So these different teachings, we can reflect on them. Now in itself can be a form of meditation. You reflect on the Dhamma, you might call it Dhamma Anusati, recollecting the Dhamma, the qualities of the Dhamma, one aspect of Dhamma, of truth. And as you do that, mindfulness becomes established, the mind calms down. Then we can refine our practice of meditation down to maybe just the one simple object, like the breath. So a lot of our practice is about training in wise reflection, yonisomanasikara, wisely reflect. Reflecting, we use the requisites and we wisely reflect on the Vinaya, the training in the Vinaya. As we have lessons in the Vinaya, we remember rules, we think about them, see how they apply to develop skillful thought as well as mindfulness in daily life. You see, it's, the Vinaya is not just about remembering the black and white rule, it's also understanding why we keep it, how to use the rules, the training practices to bring up wholesome states of mind to further our meditation. So our whole attitude is important. If it's something very simplistic, just black and white, keep the rule, don't keep the rule, then often we, it, uh, the Vinaya can become a cause of suffering. So we're always judging ourselves. I don't keep the Vinaya well, or I do keep it well, become maybe conceited, or judging others, always looking at others, judging them, and they don't do this, they don't do that. Although that way of thinking is sometimes appropriate, we have to go beyond it as well, transcend just the external convention of the Vinaya and get towards seeing how it's a vehicle for liberation. So you also have to develop a skillful attitude. You think about it often, <clears throat> our different 
unwholesome states of mind, greed, anger, delusion coming up in different ways, can often be stimulated by just very sim- simple kind of judgmental thoughts about the Vinaya training. So comparing ourselves to others maybe. I'm better than him, he's better than me and so on. They keep this rule, they don't keep the rule. I know better, better than you and so on. Often just simple little denials can become a cause for quite deep defilements to come up. Deep sense of self, ego, conceit and so on. Some part of our practice, especially in the beginning, is not only learning the Vinaya, but learning to develop a skillful attitude towards it. And being aware of the dangers, the pitfalls that training the Vinaya can stimulate if we don't become aware of our own attitudes and we don't develop a skillful one. We don't harmonize the practice of Vinaya with the practice of Dhamma. You think back to Kosambi, where the monks split into two groups. It was over a water dipper in a toilet. One monk claimed the other monk hadn't put left it in the right position. Said it should be left um, tipped over so that water can't collect, dirty water can't collect in it. So it'll be clean fresh for the next user and the other monk said we should leave it face up or just said he didn't didn't do what the first monk said and we can have different views out over the most smallest thing like a water dipper one person might say I'll leave it face up so the next person can pick it up easily another monk says no you should leave it face down so that it doesn't accumulate any dirt or dirty water in it there may be some useful reasons for many opinions we have on very small things. But then if we hold to them so tightly, it can become a cause for anger, rivalry, competition with others, and so on. This is where we have to develop skillful attitudes, wise attitudes, even towards very small little aspects of the Vinaya. It doesn't mean to say just give up altogether and let it go. It just means be careful to consider wisely our own views and opinions. It's not to have uh, not to have any views and opinions. Ajahn Chah used to say it's alright to have an opinion or a view but just don't hold on to it tightly. Hold it in your mind so you know well, this is my view, my current view or with the information I have, this is my view. But if through experience you decide, you find that view is not correct, we are not holding so tightly that you can't adjust it or let it go. You can hold an opinion, but you don't hold on so tightly it becomes a cause of suffering for you or others. This is how we're training, we train in wisely reflecting, say on the Vinaya and on the mind itself, we reflect back when we're meditating, we have to develop a skillful attitude as we meditate. We all know the techniques 
that the Buddha gave us, the Lumpur Cha gave us. But then we have to apply them with wisdom as we practice. So we actually have to think about what we're doing sometimes. Just look at the numbers of meditation techniques. We have 40 main meditation techniques. So sometimes it's appropriate to apply different meditations, you know, the ten anusatis, ten recollections. Sometimes it's useful to bring up different recollections, to use thoughts skillfully, to use up some of that energy of the thinking mind and direct it in a good way. So you might recollect sila, the qualities of sila, sila anusati. Sangha Anusati, you recollect the qualities of good Sangha. Maybe you recollect teachers that you've met that embody them, or teachings you've heard that embody them. And so on. You can recollect the Dhamma in this way, using thought, and then you gradually refine it down, maybe just to one concept, one word, one image. Upasamanusati, a recollection of Nibbāna. What does Nibbāna mean to you? It means emptiness. What does emptiness mean? It means peace. Well, what does peacefulness mean? <coughs> we use skillful reflection first just to think through the theme until we're familiar with it and if it holds our attention then we might just refine it down to one word. Upasamanu sati means the quietening, the stilling of the mind. And Jan Chao used to say it's that it's neither moving forward nor moving backwards nor staying still. You know, as long as there's a a person, an ego who's moving forward, moving back, or consciously staying still, then it's still not Nibbāna. So what does stillness mean? If staying still is not it, yeah, what does stillness mean? You start thinking in this way, looking more at our own experience of the mind, contemplating what is true stillness. This can help lead the mind in the right direction, even though we might not have experienced true stillness. At least we're thinking about it, encouraging the mind in that direction, maybe looking at well, what is not stillness, and the disturbed mind, what's that like? What activities calm the mind down? What meditation object calms the mind for you? And so on. We think it through. Or if we have a meditation object like the breath, anapanasati, how to apply the mind to the breath to quieten it down and bring it to stillness. Obviously we have the instructions. You follow the in-breath, the out-breath. Know the in-breath, the out-breath the long breath, the short breath. So how much are we really knowing the breath? 
Or is it just one or two breaths and then thinking again, thinking in a distracted way now, not in a mindful way with wisdom, but just thinking around all over the place, not really with the breath, even though we might feel we're half with the breath. We're not fully aware of the in-breath, fully aware of the out-breath. As we do recollect an object, there's always got to be sampajanya guiding as well. Sampajanya is part of the wisdom faculty, developing a full understanding, full comprehension of what we're doing, why, what's the purpose of it. As we come to sit down, you know, it's just normal when we first sit, there'll be movement in the mind, memories, thoughts, sense impressions coming up. So it takes a while to settle down. But if we keep applying effort to the meditation object with a wise attitude, well, there's always the possibility of the mind becoming very still, very quiet. It's because we practice regularly, we practice every day. So you'll find even sometimes when you're feeling very tired, it's possible to still quieten the mind and go beyond the, the feeling of tiredness, the waitinger feel tired, hungry, too hot, too cold. It's always possible to go beyond that by focusing on the object. But we have to be the one who does that. We have to summon up the effort, make the effort, use wisdom and then use mindfulness directed to the object. If we keep applying the meditation technique, applying the mind to it through the period of a sitting or a walking, and all the mental chatter and all those impressions start to quieten down. We send them on the way and the mind becomes more refined, going, turning inwards, centering on its object, knowing itself at that moment. And Ajahn Chah used to say it's a bit like when you've had a visit from your family or your relatives, they come, a lot of chatter, a lot of memories, a lot of information comes your way, so it's very disturbing to the mind temporarily. Then when they're going home, you stand there, say down at the kitchen, they get in their car, you say goodbye, and they drive down the driveway, and you watch them go off into the distance, and then they're gone. He said, when you're meditating, it's a bit like that, all the chatter starts to calm down as you focus on the breath. It's like watching the car go off into the distance until it's gone. And the breath becomes more refined, more subtle. The mind becomes one-pointed. All the other stuff's gone. It just disappears into the horizon. And the mind settles down in this one-pointed knowing, or what we call samadhi. Which is the first way we can experience stillness, contentedness of mind. We know it's not your ultimate stillness, but it's a taste of taste of it. And the more we can experience that for longer periods and more often in our life, then we give it gives us that vantage point that we can stay, see what is not still, what is disturbed. 
if you keep looking at that, you know, this process of looking is contemplation, vipassana, whatever you want to call it, you start to tire of what is not still, what is not peaceful. If you started to experience the peaceful mind, the still mind, then the opposite becomes less attractive, even boring. But you get tired, fed up of all the movements of the mind and all the suffering it brings and all the complexities, the delusions, even the pain, the mental pain, as well as physical pain we experience. The mind tires of it. The more we experience stillness and then start contemplating to see through all the sense impressions, sense objects we get infatuated with, all the thought patterns, the moods, the memories, the plans and so on. We see through them, we start to tire of them. We experience nibida, the mind turning away, quite naturally turns away from grasping, holding on to things so much, because we know it's painful. It just leads to more suffering and confusion. If you genuinely see that, it's not so infatuated with all those thoughts and mental states. The mind naturally turns away. But to do that we have to contemplate a lot. We meditate a lot. Make the mind more still, quieten down and then contemplate a lot. We have to keep coming back to the stillness because contemplation uses up mental energy. Knowing these experiences, knowing your thoughts, your feelings, knowing sense impressions uses up energy, it's quite tiring for the mind, so then we have to return to stillness to get a rest, get a boost of energy. Many meditators just want, want the stillness itself, they just want to stick with that. Just want a peaceful mind, don't want to have to think about anything, contemplate anything. So often they get very attached to being in their little comfort zone their cave, their kuti, whatever, not having to mix with the world. Ajahn Chah always said, you'll never really develop wisdom like that. You have to come out and actually contemplate sense impressions. So it's all right to mix with the world sometimes. You know, the Buddha is the knower of the world, loka we do, because he actually contemplated the world. And how do we know the world? Well, through our senses, seeing, hearing, tasting, touching. That's where we contemplate. We contemplate the world is impermanent. It doesn't last. It's not true, it's not real, it's not self. It's an imitation, it's a delusion. But the way we see that is through contemplating the senses, the objects, then our responses to the world through our senses and the feelings and the craving and attachment that arises. Keep contemplating that. When the mind is bright enough, peaceful enough to do that. When it's not, then we go back to developing stillness.
when we try contemplating too much, just try thinking and reading and trying to absorb information in a less mindful way, then obviously it's still not going to be truly satisfying to the mind. It doesn't bring us nibbida, it just brings us more stress in the end, more tension, more discontent. So we need to develop stillness as well. Develop stillness and contemplate. Contemplate and develop stillness. When the mind does become more quiet, more still, mm-hmm. and it's like it's coming home. The normal human, unenlightened human mind, it's like it's never at home. It's always feeling restless, discontent. When you develop some stillness, quietness of mind, it's like you're coming home so you can feel comfortable in yourself, in the mind itself. It allows us to see the truth. And the truth isn't anything very complex. It's not some difficult philosophical theory that only certain people can understand. It's often the most basic, obvious things. This body is impermanent doesn't last. It's made up of four elements, come together and then they break apart again. Gets old, gets sick and we die. Just coming to see and accept that, understand that, the mind becomes truly still, truly peaceful. So when we ever when we ever practice the funeral chants or go to a funeral, a very simple chant. Anichawata Sankara. All formations are impermanent, subject to change, body and mind. Upadavaya Dhammino. They're of the nature to arise and pass away. Upajitava Nirujanti. Having arisen, they cease. They end, they degenerate, they end. Te sang Stillness of mind is the highest peace. When the when the formations, mental formations go still, it's the highest happiness. So upasamanu sati again. Wupasamo sukho. Sukho is happiness. Wupasamo. The quietening, the stilling of formations. Obviously, death is one kind of stillness, but it's only temporary. Here we're talking about the death of the kilesas, the ending of delusion, ignorance, by seeing the true nature of this conditioned world, physical, mental phenomena, knowing that in each dukkha the mind goes truly still. So it's happy. Actually, to realize the Dhamma, they say it's not necessarily a lot that we have to learn or know. It's just about applying the teachings, the practices, training body, speech and mind, training the mind to really reflect on Dhamma, see the Dhamma with mindfulness, with understanding. So next week we enter the Vasa, we can maybe take a few days to think about how you want to practice in your Vasa, if there's any special routine or practice you want to take on. 
think about it. How can you use your time well to develop more understanding of the Dhamma, the Vinaya, meditation and so on. So for tonight I'll leave you with these reflections. <laughs>